The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccino. And good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the MCU Review. I'm uh, one of your panelists this evening, Elliot Serrano, uh, regular here on the MCU Review, where tonight we will be talking about Spider-Man Homecoming, the first Spider-Man film uh, done uh, via Marvel Studios, um, officially well, kind of bringing... Peter Parker into the Marvel Cinematic Universe after his debut in Civil War. Uh, but today we do have a special guest that's going to join us. Before we bring him in, let's see our other MCU review panelists. In fact, he has created yet another themed drink for tonight's show, Tom Jetner. How are you doing, Tom? Good evening, Elliot. How are you doing tonight? I am doing very, very well. Uh, for those who are not following Tom on Instagram at Review Cocktails, that's R-E-V-U Cocktails, you will see uh, the homecoming drink mm -hmm. that uh, Tom created for tonight. He'll explain a little bit later what's in it, how you can make it yourself. Uh, Dave Pinto, who normally gets the cocktails from Tom, so that we may distribute it to the rest <laughs> of the panel. Uh, well, we couldn't get our schedules together. So unfortunately, no no drink, no uh, uh, homecoming cocktail for the rest of us tonight. But I'm this looking is how Dave winds up drinking all three. Yes, that's that's exactly it. He ends up drinking all of them. So, uh, But I always appreciate your efforts in making those. And I'm looking forward to trying it out. Uh, then, of course, we cannot forget that the MCU Review is part of the Caffeinated Comics podcast. And uh, that is all thanks to the founder, proprietor, and regular host of Caffeinated Comics and another member of our panel, John Clark. How are you doing, John? Good. And I am drinking water out of a Spider-Man glass. It's <laughs> cold, cold comfort, gentlemen. <laughs> hey, you know what? <laughs> Whatever works, whatever works. I, I do that. I do not have a Spider-Man glass to uh, drink out of. So I have several. <laughs> <laughs> Various eras. I've got Venom. I've got Carnage. That's, that's too many. But right. I also would like to introduce our guest. I'm really excited. We've been wanting him to come on for a long time. We were office mates when we worked at Ogilvy, but more importantly... He was an editor at Marvel for uh, and saw the highs and lows of the mid to late 90s. Uh, writer of Daredevil, including the Fall from Grace storyline, which is still uh, known as one of the highlights of Daredevil's history when he wore the armored outfit and Scott McDaniel drew it. A uh, frequent ghost rider. And he said he's written Spider-Man a few times. It's DG Chichester. And I've got to admit, I'm going to fanboy out just a moment. Uh-oh. Sir, I'm going to fanboy out just a little bit. <laughs> sir, we've already ruined the relationship, Elliot. You know, <laughs> sir. Well, all right. 
None of Mr. us are that young. <laughs> Mr. Chichester. No. <laughs> um, okay, so for reals, uh, you wrote my, of all of the, the Batman Daredevils, you wrote my favorite one. Um, well, thank you. I yeah, thank you. I, I think that was the first. I believe it was yes. the first one. So thank you very much. I had the a first, lot of fun with that. The first and the best. And I have to ask you, for folks who did not read um, uh, Eye for an Eye, Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you and and um, and um, Scott McDaniel worked on it. The um, it's it's uh, Batman, of course, coming to New York. That was just it seemed like that was the thing that they were doing in the crossovers. I think Alan Grant did one um, after you. Yeah, you know, it was. Um, we're not going to go too much off on that topic, I yeah. know, but I, I think um, you know, there obviously there's a lot of wheeling and dealing with that, and I think that uh, Danny O'Neill, who was the Batman editor. Uh, didn't want us playing in Gotham. <laughs> ah, see, that <laughs> maybe, was the thing, yeah. Maybe, that that could have been, I can't remember all the, the details on that end of it, but that may have been part of it. And so it was, I remember he schooled me <laughs> and scolded me badly once, because in an earlier draft, um, I I had something about, um, you know, the, the Batmobile just suddenly appears. And, and he was like, do you think it just like goes magically from you know, on the roadway on the I-95 from Gotham to, to New York, you know, you've got to cover this off of the line, which is like even Daredevil sort of says, you know, is that thing road, you know, roadworthy? And, uh, and Batman says, don't be a fool. You know, there's, of course I transport it in secret, you know, between places and, and such, but, uh, he did have a bat train at, at that, in that, that time. In the <laughs> it might've been Where the bat train. Yeah. Well, the old Amtrak. But no, thank you, Elliot. That's really nice. Because uh, my, my question I had, I wanted to ask, of course, is because in, in, in you know, Batman's in New York, you're dealing yep. with uh, Two-Face and Mr. Hyde. Yep. And, and really one of the best, uh, probably one of the best um, uh, climaxes I've seen. I love when you had, you know, Daredevil as Matt Murdock addressing Harvey, you know, Two-Face as Harvey Dent. Like, you know, Harvey's like, dude, he wants to flip the coin. And Matt goes, screw the coin. No, use your, you know, use the, your mind. You know, you were a lawyer, damn it. You know, right, I, right. I love that scene. I totally love that scene. Thank um, you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, that, that's my, I, I'm really super critical of uh, things I've done. But I, I thought the connecting Matt and Harvey Dent was a, uh, somewhat inspired so i was really proud of that <laughs> then speaking of things you've done didn't they didn't marvel just release an epic collection of a lot of your run of daredevil um i think they finally finished it yeah they, there's there's quite a few of those epic chunky you know daredevil omnibus uh, ones and i think they've now uh, completed everything that i've that i've done for the most part maybe not the final the final final issue of the first um volume of daredevil which, which was with lee weeks again uh, was sort of an outlier, so that may be coming later down the down the line. So the very last line, it's it's Matt Murdock meets Bruce Wayne at this big function <laughs> thing, and Matt the typo, yeah, right, mm-hmm. and and it's like and it's like at that point Matt Murdock goes, "Oh, I know who you are, right?" And um and and uh, Bruce Wayne says to Matt Murdock, says, "Do not come to Gotham City." <laughs> And of course, Matt Murdock has to say, is that a dare? Yep, yep. <laughs> so my question is, had you been able to, let's say there's the sequel, you can write the sequel, and Denny O'Neill says you can bring Batman to Gotham City. Uh, who, do, who, do they, who do they go up against in the sequel? 
Man, that's a great question. Um, yeah, Daredevil's got such a uh, not great rogues gallery in, in some ways, and you want to sort of like pair them up in, in a. His main villain in, is a Spider-Man villain. Exactly. <laughs> not anymore. I, we the Daredevil office laid claim to Kingpin a, a long time ago, um, so you had to come to the Daredevil office at that point to get permission to use Kingpin. I would probably pull Typhoid in uh, from the oh. Daredevil side. Uh, that would be a really, you know, good pairing and. Um, you know, to elevate it, uh, whether we would bring Two-Face back, that would be kind of a nice consistency. If we were actually trying to do a sequel, I think that would make a, a lot of sense. Uh, otherwise, it would be really interesting, certainly, to pair her up with, uh, uh, obviously, the Joker's uh, an obvious one, and that could be a really good run for the money for the Joker as well, trying to keep up with uh, Typhoid, who doesn't really give a shit about him, yet is is as bonkers is you know any harley quinn that would have been a fun one to to pair up and then you'd have all the great stuff of daredevil just being overwhelmed by whatever the hell the sensory perceptions of gotham would be. Right. <laughs> i can't imagine I, what gotham feels like it's icky and you know, disgusting but <laughs> as, as someone who was totally in the dark about the like you said the the, the politics and that daredevil couldn't go to gotham i don't know i was like Oh, he's setting something up really cool, and I can't wait to see it. And, and it didn't happen. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's the one shot. There were enough politics to kind of make it happen. Uh, not 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 hugely. I mean, there was that was still a much gentler time, and Denny and Ralph were good friends. So obviously, that bridged that in an easier way. But uh, there's still a fair amount of it, and there's there's a fair amount of uh, who do you get to work on certain things. Uh, a little known detail is lee weeks was originally supposed to be the artist on that book that was my original hope and then uh lee just didn't ultimately want to do it he felt like it would be going backwards mm. and so well and scott was fantastic make no mistake about that but it, that was not the original intention of the of the title and probably would have gone in a much different direction if it if it had been been lee and myself again um, before we get to too fur much further, I want to thank everyone who's tuning in on the Facebook page, on Twitch TV, and watching us on YouTube. Good evening, Susan. Good evening, Lehman, our MCU review regulars. We really appreciate your support. Um, if you're discovering the show for the first time, please give us a like, give us a thumbs up, uh, comment um, wherever you can. We re-see all comments, and if you make us laugh, we'll even share it. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, but so again, thank you for indulging me. Um, I had to get that mm -hmm. fanboy stuff out of the way again. When <laughs> when when John told me you were going to be on the show, I was like, <laughs> so I had the same reaction. Like John, I got to like step up. I've got to like actually have a point of view that's not just oh yeah i remember writing that 20 years ago yeah <laughs> i have to step up because i know the cameras are actually broadcasting <laughs> i can't just lie there with the microphone above my right. head but tom i'm disappointed i didn't know about the drink ahead of time i, I would have mixed up my own brew you know so in this, the future uh, well yeah this one actually kind of came to i had no idea whether i was actually going to be able to pull this off because um this this involved I used a, a because it was Spider-Man Homecoming and because of the plot centers mm -hmm. around a homecoming dance, I wanted to do punch, which is apparently trickier right. than you might expect. Um, mm -hmm. The great cocktail historian David Wondrich in his book Imbibe, um, if you haven't read it, it's 
wonderful, um, devotes an entire chapter to punch in its role. <laughs> in wow. And, um, the method of making it is really old. Like I had to like take sugar and muddle, um, and muddle all my citrus peels. Oh yeah. yeah and leave it yep. and leave it in the fridge for the sugar to leach all of the oils and mm -hmm. flavors and zest out of the, uh, um, out of the peels. I use grapefruit and lime. I kind of basically made a cross between a squirt and a Sprite really, if I'm thinking about it. <laughs> um, because then I added a little, little, um, a uh, little soda water on top of that at the end. Mm -hmm. But, and I added, you know, probably more sugar than I really probably should have added. And then uh, I started really going goofy with my rum. So, um, so there's, okay. there's uh, also, there's Jamaican allspice dram in there. There's Eldorado three-year Demerara rum in there. That's most of it. And then I threw in a little bit of Ray and Nephew 62% overproof rum in there just uh, for a little more fun. Now I'm really disappointed because rum is my drink. <laughs> well, you, well, you, you, you got one waiting for you, John. We, we, I've got one for you. Don't worry. And then send one to Dan, but I think it's illegal to ship open containers of alcohol across state lines. <laughs> <laughs> if, I think it's probably legal. I just have to pay taxes on it. And that's really <laughs> problem. There's a tariff. There's a tariff. Here's the thing, Dan. Whenever Tom um, makes a drink, he can't just, you know do something simple well simple look i mean he goes deep we're talking deep. absolutely absolutely um and if you want to see the uh recipes and how tom makes it right there you see on the screen go to M uh, review cocktails where not only do you see a wonderfully presented uh sample of the drink but also the recipe and the function and every once in a while um tom even posts a video of himself making them Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, and one more note on that particular picture there before we kind of move on. Uh, I bought those flowers a week ago from a lovely florist in the Monadnock building in downtown mm -hmm. Chicago. So if anyone is um, there, uh, they're wonderful. And uh, those flowers are almost a week old and they still look great. Tom, so, where is that building? What street is it? The Monadnock building? The Monadnock building is Jackson and Dearborn. You know it because it is the kind of... Uh, it's made entirely out of brick. It is not reinforced concrete or steel frame. It hmm. in fact was the uh, tallest brick masonry building built in the country at the time it was constructed, I, I think. Um, and the interior is all almost unchanged since the 1930s, all the old fashioned bulbs and things like that. And they've got a wonderfully old school intelligentsia coffee in that uh, uh, front. But that's uh, where my barber is too, so I go there. <laughs> I'm there quite a bit in, in the loop in downtown Chicago. But it's, uh, so, so you came home with the with the flowers, and the wife went, "Oh, those are for me." You went, "No, no, these are for a photograph." I'm going to take. No, they're <laughs> definitely definitely for my wife. Yes. Okay, there we go. Uh, Dan, another thing, if you've never watched the show before, is I will often lament at how uh, how all my fellow cast mates here have ridiculously attractive significant others. <laughs> and, and I'm like, which basically circles back to Elliot saying he's single and available, ladies. All right, <laughs> but All would, right. would like a. Uh, I would also like to outkick my coverage, and have a ridiculously attractive, uh, significant other. So people go down the street and go, 
what bet did she lose? You know, <laughs> I, I'm going to that's, uh, that's def- really definitely work on setting you up with somebody. Feel bad for your All girlfriend. Right. <laughs> All right, uh, Dan, 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 Dan's going to set me up. I'm all for it. All right. Exactly. All right, let's let's bring the conversation back to the topic of the evening, and that would be Spider-Man: Homecoming, of course, starring Tom Holland, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, I it, it's it, this was like the you know Spider-Man and Iron Man movie. It felt like mm-hmm. um, Marvel, uh, Marvel two in one. No wait, mm-hmm. uh, Marvel. Which one, uh, the thing was Marvel team up or Marvel two and one? Marvel the team things. up with Spider Man. With Spider Man, the thing yeah, was Marvel two and thing. one. Right. Uh, with uh, Marissa Tomei playing Aunt May. Aunt May is progressively getting younger in every Spider Man reboot, mm-hmm. um, and a cast of others. This part uh, is where, real quick. We give uh, each panelist is going to give a quick summation of how they felt upon their reviewing of Spider-Man Homecoming. That's if you had a chance to watch it recently or your recollections of it. So we're going to start with you, Dan. Give us your two minute MCU movie review. I, I felt elated when I saw the movie. I, I did not realize how much I missed Spider-Man until um, uh, Civil War. And then seeing Tom Holland and that was like, holy shit, can I swear on the show? I hope so. Yeah, um, and and just feeling totally jazzed. And then to see him so fully invested in this movie, continuing to play those notes uh, was great. And I thought the, the, the Iron Man, the Robert Downey Jr. mentor figure was an unexpected twist that I wasn't familiar with from the comics. And it felt very true to where it was going. And of course, upping the ante with Michael Keaton and putting him in there as such a prominent uh, figure and giving a very human and menacing touch uh, to the vulture was again, unexpected in the way that it was sort of played out. It just felt so uh, true to the moment. And those moments with Keaton, especially the, the limo moment where he, he recognizes what uh, uh, Peter Parker is and who he is uh, continues to stand out in my mind as just great filmmaking, great performances and and just want you want more you want more of what uh, this character can do and be which i think they've continued to play out really well in the in the subsequent films thank you for that and uh, tom uh, i had a lot of fun watching this on the on the the re- recent rewatch um mm-hmm. i think the one thing that's always stood out to me about this movie is the first part the friendly neighborhood spider-man sequence (laughs) of him going around and it's just that over eager puppy whose paws are too big for his body uh of the does anyone lose a bike you know he's like trying to show it around and it's like does anyone have a pen that can write it down and and you know the uh then he gets yelled at for for beating up that guy who's trying to unlock his own car where he locked his keys in it or something like like that um and that whole part i thought was something that we don't necessarily get to see in we didn't necessarily see in the raimi spider-man films a lot of the raimi spider-man movies was in manhattan what that was where our big kind of set pieces were we didn't really see him in queens proper except you know when he's at home so that initial sequence to me, and also I think some of the later uh, parts with the like going to the, the high school party and and that 
that sequence also sets it much it's much more of a long island than it necessarily is a manhattan movie um which is something different visually than we've seen in most spider-man movies which i thought was pretty oh and um to, to bring one more chicago kid the ferris bueller references i thought were were great and kind of very appropriate appropriate as this uh kind of teenager who's slacking off from his ordinary duties to go off and be a superhero so great enjoyed it just like i did the first time it's great and john um well i love this movie i have a lot of strange personal connections with this movie that i'm reminded every time i see it because i'm originally from queens i'm from rockaway beach and lived in Astoria for a long time. A lot of the shooting locations were it, down my street in my old neighborhood. When uh, Spider-Man swings through the subway station that shows the bridge, that was my subway station. And that's where I would go to New York Comic Con or go to Art Asylum when I worked there or go to Ogilvy to work with Dan. Uh, really hit home. The alley that he changes clothes in is next door to Silver Edge Comics, which is a great store that's been there for 30 years and still there. I used to do stand up with Hannibal Burris, um, the the vice principal of the school that they shoot has uh, is a friend of mine since we were like in our twenties. So I have all these odd little connections, which um, which just make me feel closer to it. And especially as we've said on other podcasts, Spider Man uh, was always one of my favorites. But I feel like the last few years. It used to be Batman and Spider-Man were neck and neck. And I think as I finally let go of my brooding face, maybe when the pandemic hit, I was like, I don't need to be really dark about nothing. <laughs> There's stuff. Yep. I, I started to like embrace Spider-Man more and more because Spider-Man takes that heaviness and flips it and makes it light and, mm -hmm. and makes it, and he's bright and colorful and there's an energy to it um, that, more and more when I purged my comic collection a couple of years ago, the only thing I kept was Spider-Man. Um, right. So, and my boys are obsessed with Spider-Man. So I put it on just to view it. And my nine-year-old was glued. So um, I'm not going to have a lot of bad things to say about this movie. Well, we're not here to, 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 to rag on the movies or diss them or anything. I mean, if, you, if we love them, we love them. And of course I know John, you're, you're the biggest Spider-Man fan I know. So, you know, of course, you know. Um, all right. Well, let's see. I mean, and for my for my own part, I don't have a whole lot new to add. You guys pretty much summed everything up. I will say I did enjoy. I did not realize that John Watts was trying to make a John Hughes movie in the MCU, which is exactly mm. what he ended up doing. Um, and, you know, to the point you guys are saying that it felt, feels like Ferris Bueller sometimes. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, it, it, that's what he was going for. And I think if you have, if you go into the movies with that mindset, it's uh, really hard to find a lot of flaws with these films, because even though there might be little bits here and there, maybe little inconsistencies and little nitpicks, the heart, the heart of the character and the characters yeah. is always there. And um, even to the point where, um, like uh, Dan, you were talking about how the Joker figures out that well, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. He knows um, the Vulture. The Vulture, right? I mean, I'm sorry. Well, the Vulture, yes, but I'm sorry. Michael Keaton knows that Peter. Uh, the Vulture knows that right. Peter. Batman. Parker. Batman figures out who Spider-Man is, right? And that too. But yeah, <laughs> you know what really happened in the, in the crossover. Do you need any more movies when that happens? Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, 
But for what it's worth, Daredevil knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman too. So, you know, it all evens out in the end. Well, that's one um, of the great things about the movie is the balls that Marvel has at this point. They're outright confident. We've been talking about this as we've been going along where, you know, they're small films and they get they get more and more confident. And then they start pulling in like George Harrison songs and they start owning everything. The fact that they just stepped out and said, fuck you, Batman is the vulture now. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, no, it's but- a step beyond Chris Evans uh, or Bla- uh, Chris Evans going from Human Torch movie that no one really saw to being Captain America. This right. is this is a, a, a hero that we all grew up with at the time when there were no other superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Like the mm-hmm. only the only superhero movie that was out there was Michael Keaton as Batman. And for Marvel to just go, this guy's our villain now. They have no fear of being compared to anybody. Yeah, it's an interesting, it's, it's an angle I never thought of. I'd be really curious if that was any part of the decision-making or was it just simply Keaton is phenomenal. He's not being used enough. And I can't remember where that came in in terms of the founder or, you know, this bit of like Keaton resurgence, but yeah, I think he's just, Birdman. is it, yeah, well, then that makes a certain it, sense, but he's just so powerful. He's just such a great performer. And that kind of like helps gloss over to me any criticism of that, because that was one of the things that they uh, that they criticized in the Sam Raimi films is that everyone was figuring out that Peter Parker was Spider-Man, mm. you know? And so, but it like, it happens, like there's that one scene in the, in the Tobey Maguire one where he saves everybody on that train and he has no mask on. And Well, the people, right, right. right. He just gets worked yeah. off, yeah. Right. But, so, but, but that's also... There's heart there too, in yeah. that same way, because the entire, which is missing in a lot of films, is you know the entire train is like we're, we're not going to say anything, yeah, right. You know, yeah. you saved us. You know, you you we you're with us. You know, we're with you. I think that's. Uh, I think Ramy is a different filmmaker, uh, clearly, but uh, he understood the heart too. You know, he understood that it for for that horrible moment, you have to maintain that. Um, and I think that comes through in these films and the John Hughes thing. I, I probably read somewhere. I'm glad you reminded us of that. Cause that really, there is a lot of truth and, and um, energy to that, that comes through with all these movies, but especially this first one. What's well, especially Which is- great on the, the menacing angle because of when it happens. Yeah. The context of it happens is, is, is the vulture is the, Peter Parker's date's father. <laughs> exactly. You get, you get the sheer terror, Take good care of my daughter. Right. Right. The right. sheer terror of a 15-year-old kid going to pick up a senior girl on the yep. way on the way to the dance and showing up the door. And not only do you have to deal with Michael Keaton as the dad, right. But you right. have to deal with someone who who just tried to kill you like 48 hours right. prior to but, that. And and think how impressive that scene is again. I think it just does so much heavy lifting uh, in the sense that both those performers are really working so well with each other. I mean, at that moment in time, I mean, you know, Peter Parker could wrap the car around, right, Michael Keaton, yet he's playing exactly that that 15 year old kid who's terrified of the senior girl's dad and and trying to manage all these things and yet keaton is so formidable right and he's got nothing going for him right there he doesn't have a suit he doesn't have all this other stuff he's just michael fucking keaton and he's able to kind of own that moment and terrify this kid 
and you know i will kill you <laughs> and then he pulls the act- does he pull an actual gun on him i think at the very end i think he pulls yeah, he does he, he rests it on the headrest right, so it's, right. It's, it's that entire process um that you were talking about about that that where he's just unarmored where he's just and you get this mm-hmm. great close-ups of his face he's yeah. got that great voice that he's like talking to him it's awesome he's just it's so awesome great. so he's just like terrifying as just a, a man and then yep. he pulls a gun on you yep yep yeah well he's playing he's just playing that character there's no winking there's no, no like a- th- there's no meta like get it i was batman and now he just he inhabits this character and this is at a time where people are saying marvel's villains are weak and right. one of the things i noticed in this watch is we open we open on him we see him before we see spider-man mm-hmm. but he's looking at a drawing of uh, the Avengers and he's got reading glasses on mm-hmm. and it never hit me before, but it was like, he's playing a fully rounded character. He's not playing somebody who's ultra powerful. He's playing a middle-aged guy totally. you know, with, totally. with the strengths and weaknesses of that. Yeah. And he's totally, and he's totally justifiable, right? Yeah. He wants to make ends meet and this is a great way to do it. And he was happy running, you know, his little mini restoration uh, construction company you know, and taking his piece of it. And then the big misuse of damage control rolls in and, and, uh, and, you know, says, screw you. And so it's like, no, screw you. I'm going to, I'm going to take what's mine. If you're going to take it away from me, which is totally an ownable, accountable moment. It's yeah. terrific. To be fair though, he's making ends meet in a very Walter White kind of way. Well, there's he's that. He's had to pay you know, the bills. He's, there, he's making there is, a there lot is. of money from steel, selling yeah. Iron Man helmets. Let's cook. You're right. Yeah. Okay. You know, <laughs> I I'm sorry, but the, yes. And, and, but I mean, the scene with the shocker, I'm, oh, yeah. I got, I got to admit it, it. I didn't see it coming and it was, it was hilarious. Then it was, it's still hilarious. Especially when it goes, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know the gun was going to do that. <laughs> I, thought, exactly. I thought it was just going to pick him up. I thought, <laughs> Weird alien but he, but he gets past it really quick. You, you see him like, Oh, I just killed somebody. It's the first time we see him kill somebody. It's probably the first time he killed somebody. And you see him mm-hmm. kind of t- take that pause, think about it, and he's like, it's like, yeah, I can live with this. And it, was, it was a shocker, okay? No one's missing right. him. No. <laughs> and, they, and they replaced the shocker in this movie with another shocker. Yeah. <laughs> shocker too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm the shocker. I'm the shocker. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we all have that coworker we want to just, you know. <laughs> exactly. Disintegrate, you know, yeah. no doubt. He's also the guy in the very beginning that shows up late for work with a cup of coffee. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this guy was a pain in the ass before he was the shot. Right, right. He was not a performer. He was not. <laughs> no. a, he was not a. He's not a good earner. <laughs> All right. Oh goodness, this is this is. Well, think about that whole crew. His whole crew of guys from the um, from a uh, Bokeem uh, Wood uh, Burn. Woodbine. Wood, Woodbine. Let's see. Yeah. Our, well, I uh, first noticed in Fargo, he was amazing. Oh, in God. And then shows Fargo. up in this. Yeah, he's terrific in Fargo. And uh, they have their own like tech guy who somehow is managing to cobble together this stuff while at the same time using alien tech to get <laughs> out of the fridge without opening the door to the fridge, which seems kind of like a waste. <laughs> uh, and that guy's the tinkerer, which is very absurd. Yeah. Spider-Man. Yeah, there's some deep cuts in there. You're right. Yeah. And he's, I, I forget his name, but he's a great character actor. He was, he was on uh, Orange is the New Black. He was, he's in a bit of Men in Black 3, which is an underrated film. 
he's like a really accessible type New York mm-hmm. actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't, we get, we get, um, we get Aaron Davis. We get, um, mm-hmm. uh, we get Prowler for, you know, a brief moment. We, there's that uh, deleted scene where we get a Miles Morales reference. Oh, really? I didn't see that. Okay. Yeah. There's a deleted scene with, uh, um, uh, with a, a Donald Glover, Donald Glover with his hand still stuck to the, the trunk of the car. Okay. He's trying to get it off and get it off. It's not coming off. And then you see him just like sitting down on the ground. He's on his cell phone. It's like, yeah, I'm sorry, Miles. I'm not going to be able to come over today. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's coming up. Yeah. So I don't see that either. He does say in the theatrical cut, I got a nephew that lives here. And yeah. and then, then a, just a year, I think it's a year later, is into the Spider Verse where we see he's the prowler in Spider Verse, Donald Glover's right. character. We see that entire relationship. Yeah. And of um, course, that that's a meta thing because the uh, Donald Glover came out when he was on Community before Andrew Garfield was cast. He said, "Why can't Spider Man be black?" And yeah, that's right. That's Brian Michael right. Bendis heard that article and created Miles Morales. And there's oh, a right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it, it came full circles. Man, that's like, recursive. Yeah. Yeah. That's Donald Glover never became Spider Man, but we'll put him in the Spider Man movie. And then there's a Donald Glover reference in Into the Spider Verse that just kind of ties off, I guess, the that closes the time loop on that one. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So my question now, we're, we're getting into this. Much like many people, when they talk about the movie Poltergeist, where does Toby Hooper end and Steven Spielberg begin as far as the putting this, you know, directing the movie? Where does Sony Pictures end and Marvel Studios begin when it came to this particular film? Because they were, you know, they had... They weren't able to make a pretty, pretty, uh, a right. decent uh, Spider-Man film for a while. I got my own theory. Can I just go real quick? Please. You, know, snark? Yeah. you started by talking how Marvel and DC work together, so I want to yeah. hear your perspective on Sony. Uh, where, you know where, where the film opens to Sony Pictures Presents? That's mm. where they fucking end. That's where <laughs> they shit the bed so badly on those other movies. And, you know, you look at the last movie that came out, right? No Way Home, and how good Garfield is in that movie. You know, he really is. He's phenomenal. And it's like, holy shit, where was this guy? They could not get there out of their own way. And, you know, once, uh, you know, they capitulated, you know, and realized they had entered the the Fox's den by making the deal that they did with, you know, Fake Feige. How do you not pronounce his name? Feige. 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 You know, once they they realized they were basically in the jaws of the fox there, you know, they thought they were like kind of making, oh, yeah, we'll give you a little Spider-Man if we get all of this. You don't get anything that we don't give you. And they set themselves up. They put him so firmly in the middle of the world so immediately. Uh, I, I, and all the notes in that just feel so plumb perfect. I cannot imagine they had, you know, any real influence that mattered to the structure. That's the way it feels to me. Yeah, and you look at the the other films Sony is making with the Spider-Man universe, uh, things like Venom and Morbius. They're really there's something very odd about the tone that doesn't right. feel quite right. right. And the Venom movies are big hits, and of course, Spider-Verse is is a work of genius. Well, Spider-Verse is is it's its own thing. That's yeah, I, and I, oh. and you know uh, the Disney doesn't touch that, but there's so many great ideas in that. And mm-hmm. obviously, it's not a movie we'll cover, but. There were little touches where I think Homecoming had to have seen this because Spider-Verse was four years in development. And mm-hmm. Spider-Verse, I, I think Spider-Verse came up with the articulating eyes. 
because it was animation. And that was the big breakthrough when you saw Tom Holland in Civil War was that his eyes actually changed. Right. As I like but, to say, they, went, they oh, go they, from they, to Bagley. They did that, that in... Go ahead, Tom. Oh, sorry. No, they did that in the 2003 cartoon that was on MTV with uh, Neil oh, Patrick the Harris. Animated one. The animated one. Right. Yeah. They, they did that. They did the articulating eyes years earlier. As, as just as far as I remember, and John Romita did that before that. I mean, you know, kind of look, look at, look at any comic, right? I mean, yeah. the eyes they change, right? You know, it's they they reflect the character, and I think that's. They but were in the Raymond Garfield films, that never happens. It's a no, no, mask no, in all nothing. five of those films. So st utterly forgettable those movies. I, I even more forgettable than the Mission Impossible movies, which I didn't think was possible to, to walk out of a movie for me and completely forget, like, what just happened? Oh, yeah, you know. And yet now he's burned into my head, you know, Jamie Foxx burned into my head, you know, they, they just have become such fully realized characters. Yeah, people the people are petitioning now for a third Andrew Garfield film, and it's like... And but it, if it goes back to them, it's going to be the same... Right. I don't know. And Andrew Garfield is 40. <laughs> so right, right. I don't think he right. wants to come back. Right, he'd have to be the one with the back problems, right? You yeah, know, it's kind of like exactly. op opens in the chiropractor's office, you know, which <laughs> could be funny. Could be, could be an interesting take. You've got Secret Wars coming up in a few years. They can always bring everybody back, right? Yeah. You know. Anyway, that was my one snark, but honest, <laughs> honest take on it. Well, it's it's look you. I, which I, I I believe it. Um, I'm just surprised because Into the Spider Verse is a Sony production, and it's just so well done. It's like totally. It, seem, mm -hmm. it seems like the animated wing gets Spider Man. They like mm -hmm. understand him, and it works there. But it's something like when you get into live action, and it's really I hate to say it, it you know it seems to be that when you start trying to go into live action, a lot gets lost in the translation. Well, Spider-Man's a cartoony character, so I think he, I think in that way he's harder to translate. Mm -hmm. And as as Dan mm -hmm. said, Spider-Verse is its own thing. But you know, Spider-Verse comes out of Lord and Miller, and they had just come off the Lego Movie, so yeah, they had already brilliant. taken something that no one thought would work. And when when they announced Spider-Verse, that was just supposed to be an animated Miles Morales movie, mm -hmm. and the strategy was we can't have two Spider-Man, so we'll we know Miles is popular, we'll put him in an animated movie, and people won't be confused. And then of course. Right. Three years later, we have three Spider-Men running into each other at the Statue of Liberty. I think it also may have something, having dallied with Hollywood very, very minor, you know, ways uh, over the years. I think there's you know, the Marvel Universe is so fully invested and covered by people who just know that world, and that's what they're doing. You know, they're they're obviously making billions of dollars and 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 at the top of their game in Hollywood, but there's no question that they are invested in the Marvel universe. And I think Sony's end of it or any studio's end of it to a large degree is we know storytelling better than anybody. We'll take this comic book stuff and we'll put the Hollywood spin on it and, and show them how it's done the right way to do it. You know, we can't have, we can't have a nerd as a, as a, as a hero. We have to, it's gotta be a skateboard God, you know, that type of thing. With, and then the exception, you know, is the Raimi stuff. But Raimi was at the top of his game. And not that he's not now, but I mean, you know, was was brought in, well-respected director. And and he knew the stuff. You know, he was 
he wanted to make a superhero film from dark man on so yeah. that, you know although, he was although with the it. third one sony did exactly what you're talking about then well exactly and that's and what burned that's him out he left yeah right i mean i mean we did have a footloose uh montage in the second amazing spider-man i mean come on mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we did all we, yeah. all we needed was the, the music i wanted to hear a little you know cut loose footloose do, 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 do. Yeah. is the uh <laughs> Bully Parker is the bully Peter Parker scene from Spider-Man Three. Then, yeah, is that, yeah, Sam when... is that Sam Raimi's commentary on what Sony wants Peter Parker to be? <laughs> you know, I would love that to be the truth. That was, uh, you know, but the fact they even meted that into the No Way Home, right? You know, just like yeah, I did this dance thing. It was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They meted that in Spider Verse too, was which was, uh, which was right, right, great. right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right okay we're talking about everything except no way home right now sorry no but uh let's uh, let's what were the okay dan let's uh you know, back to you I, I, i'm really i'm appreciating your insight here what were some of the things that you think worked really well in this film but i'm um, looking at it as like as a writer who knows these characters you've worked for marvel what are things that you might have done differently Man, it's it's um, it, it's a lazy answer. It's it's really hard to think of something I would have really really changed. I respected so many elements of it. I love the humor. It felt right. Uh, the little bits in the high school, you know, I'm obviously well past you know high school or John Hughes, uh, you know, age still felt like wow, that's great. That's that's hitting all the right notes for me. And the as I, you know, I've talked about the villainy and. Uh, and the the elation, uh, you know, comes back to the heartstrings, John. You mentioned, I, I mean, the 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 lift, no pun intended, you know, from the cover uh, or the splash page, you know, where he's trapped under the the wreckage and lifts his way out of it, and and not from a I will destroy you, but from that pure Peter Parker way, uh, it just feels like they they kind of pulled these greatest hits and put together. It's hard for me to to kind of really look at it and say, uh, here's how I would, I would change it. You know, I think there might be a little bit of messiness in the, you know, him trying to get in touch with, with happy, you know, Hogan and, you know, yeah, something's going on. You got to come to plane. You know, it's one, it's one step removed from no signal, you know, on the phone, <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a minor thing. You know, there's so much great stuff going on. I, I don't really look at it. I just watched the Hellraiser, new Hellraiser movie over the weekend uh, for a, a different group of guys who wanted to talk about that. And I picked that apart mm. pretty ruthlessly. Um, so this is hard did for you, me to kind of get in there and pick it apart. I was thinking of watching that and not to take this too. Did you dislike it or did you like it but found a lot of issues with it? It's it's classy. It's quality. We're not going to go from homecoming to Hellraiser, Ellie. No, no. But, <laughs> but it's... Uh, but uh, it, it's it's well done. I think the filmmakers were were took it very seriously. Uh, but it just it just has a lot of misfires. But if you're into it at all, definitely watch it. John. Um, oh, what would I change? If anything, I know you said you don't have a whole lot. No, the, you know what? Uh, now that I've seen the the all three, I'm a little more forgiving. But at the time. They hmm. they got the character of Peter Parker so right that I was uh, bothered by some of the details that that they changed. 
because they wanted it to stand on its own. You know, just mm. little things like the black going through his shoulder uh, didn't make it a better design, but it made it different than the other suits. Uh, Ned used to drive me crazy because mm. uh, so much of Peter is protecting his secret identity. I'd say Spider-Man and Superman are the two heroes most obsessed with protecting their secret identity. And for him to basically tell his blabbermouth friend who spends the whole movie just blowing his secret identity at every single turn. It, it just seemed like the, the Peter that I grew up with would just stop talking to him and change schools, you know, and walk down an alley with his head hung low and uh, feeling lonely. They were, uh, they played a little loose with it. And then uh, the Stark suit, um, it's an interesting conceit, but it always feels like a, a bridge too far because Spider-Man is about his resourcefulness. He's just in tights. You know, he's mm -hmm. invented web shooters, but he doesn't have really anything to protect him. And mm -hmm. I felt like that, that was placing him firmly in the MCU. But again, seeing as it went as a trilogy, we get more and more of that. So uh, now, I, uh, now I'm fine with those. It also leads to the great moment there, you know, uh, where he pulls the suit back from him, yeah. you know, and you do get that, you know, if, if, if you need this, what's the line, you know, if you, if you need, if you're nothing without the suit, then you're nothing, you know. And, yeah, and then you shouldn't have it. Then you shouldn't have it. And yeah. then, which is a great moment. It just really is. And it sort of makes you recognize the simplicity of the character. Yeah. And I love the suit that he pulls up. It's like half the wrestling suit for Amazing <laughs> Fantasy and half the Scarlet Spider. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What about you, Tom? Boy, um, kind of thinking about it, that's an interesting question as to what I would change. Because to a certain extent, it's almost like a like a Jenga. I feel like mm. if there's the one thing I might change is it, I felt like the movie kind of hit its high a little early and mm. like in terms of action that the whole sequence on, on the, the ferry of trying to yeah. like, then like weld it back together. And then that's coming after the, the sequence where he fights um, in instant kill mode in DC after that whole trip. And he has to do the rescue at the Washington monument. And that's after the 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 ferris bueller section uh, so it's it's there's a lot of action set pieces that are mm -hmm, in this mm -hmm. movie and by the time you get to the and then the the lifting of the concrete that's not even in the 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 end sequence of the movie so you're right some of yep. that could be condensed like i was thinking like well if you got rid of the some of the john hughes um the, the party section no but then like you know like that's like you know peter's gotta be spite miss out on a party because he's got to go be spider-man or he's got to miss out on spending time with a with with a girl because he's got to go be spider-man that's such a peter parker thing that it's, it's hard to skip and that sets up that's phase one of the tony as surrogate father section and then there's the fairy part there's that whole thing that that sets up so it's really hard to pick a sequence to cut that if you make a great point, though, Tom, and and uh, you know, I again, it's Jenga is the right analogy. It, the plane, the plane sequence is exciting and fun, but it does not have the emotional high points of some of the other things that you just laid out there. 
Although no, I think the, yeah. the fight on Coney Island does when it's down mm, to the two. Yeah. And, and he's he, like, he says, I'm trying to save you. That felt very. You're right. You're right. That, that, that gap brings it back. On the connection that the characters have. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is why it would be uh, the solution is to just do as kind of John was saying and just kind of be forgiving about it. And yeah, yeah it's not like it's terribly flawed. No, it's it's not yeah. a huge flaw. And if if you you just kind of have to relax and just let yourself marinate it if, in it for a while. I guess it. Right. Right. You no, know, it was a little bit different on, on the rewatch for me, just because, you know, when I have a chance to kind of watch movies. Um, Without my kids around me <laughs> late at right, night, right? Is you know, in a world spirit. world where love and thunder exists, I think uh, we can be forgiving of. Uh, of <laughs> wow! Wow! Sorry, spoiler alert! Spoiler wow. alert! Well, now you've spoiled whether we. Uh, I was right about to say, do you want to come back for love and thunder? Be <laughs> <laughs> a lot more, a lot more critical. If you asked me that question, Elliot, on that one, I might have a few. Wow! Points, but, uh, <laughs> it's funny because I was going to say. Folks, you do realize in today's internet, everything Marvel does is under the most extreme scrutiny. And, you know, everything gets picked apart. I mean, yeah. Uh, okay, uh, you did it, Dan. You brought us to the present day. So I've got to ask you, uh, what, what, uh, what did you think about uh, Daredevil in the recent, most recent She-Hulk? <laughs> I, I loved it. I, I thought it was... I, I'm, I was... You know, I'm greatly amused by the the loons on the on the doom scrolling, you know, interwebs who just, you know, Daredevil doesn't have a sense of humor. Daredevil can't do that. Uh, Daredevil can't have a yellow costume. All whatever it is. Um, but no, Daredevil it, can't have sex. Dare, oh, was that one? I missed that. <laughs> That's one. one of them. Uh, yeah, I, can you Jesus, believe that? that? that I would have I would have been off the book four shoes in. Um, <laughs> but, um, I, I, you know, you know, it's it it was different clearly in in many ways beyond the costume uh you know they they were clever with the little nods the little riff of the music they've got the cg you know acrobatics you know in it but i think what they're doing is they're 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 introducing slash reintroducing the character in a way that has enough right touches charlie cox just carries the character so so well and and but they're clearly want to and have to do something different i mean my pocket theory which has, is based upon absolutely nothing except my writer's brain is this daredevil we're going to see initially is going to be a little bit more like that. Not, not as like riffing in the same way. She-Hulk obviously has his, its own Ally McBeal identity. And that's why he fits so well there in this way. But I think if, when they reintroduce him to play born again, as they're saying, they're going to play born again, he's got to be here. He's got to start a little bit lighter and a little bit frothier to then go here, right? You know, if you start with that brooding character from the Netflix show, which was terrific, where where's a man without hope is a man without fear? Shit, man, he's got nothing. <laughs> so I, I thought it was delightful. I, I was I was so looking forward to it, and you know, I had a big grin on my face, and the lines, and the you know, the sex, and everything, <laughs> the walk of shame. I want a fun co. <laughs> walk of shame character can you see like a little you know ketchup and mustard funko figure with carrying the boots i mean that's that's oh no oh see some of the marketing uh some of that funko should be listening to the show right now. exactly right now that should be out by christmas it's a cash register right there <laughs> take my just, money right. printing money they're printing money 
Um, for as far as um, well, what I would change, and you know, I say it's it's not even a valid change because it was just my only issue I had with introducing Spider-Man now in the state of the MCU as it is now. Which mm. now that I think about it, this is something they can easily address in the next phase, um, uh, considering the state we're going to see Spider-Man in post uh, No Way Home and all. Mm. Um, uh, Reed Richards was always Peter Parker's mentor in the comics. Um, that was, you know, they had right. that connection in the beginning. And I right. always wanted to see that. Right. So in the beginning, I was a little bit, eh, aren't Tony Stark as Peter's mentor? I mean, it makes sense within the movies because sure. you don't have Reed Richards yet. Um, sure. Uh, but it, I always like, oh, why'd they go there with, with him? It should be Peter and Reed. It shouldn't be Peter and Tony. Although in the comics, I know in, in Civil War, Peter mm -hmm. and Tony would develop more of a relationship and have that right. type. Although, mind you, it, it is an older Peter Parker at this point. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, but um, that was my, if there was any criticism I had at that point, it was that. And, um, but knowing that um, they can easily rectify that once Fantastic Four finally mm -hmm. is brought into the MCU. They can totally introduce that dynamic. Yeah, and from what I've heard about Sony's deal with Marvel, it's they have to trade. So for every Mar MCU film that Tom Holland appears in, uh, the next the Spider-Man uh, film has to have at least one MCU character. So we have Tony Stark in this. We'll have Nick Fury in Far From Home, and we'll have Doctor Strange in No Way Home. Right. So, but it's always it, that that's the beauty of the deal, though, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like it's always the characters that they can't do shit else with. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, great. You have Nick Fury in here. Terrific. Look, we get all the the sheen of Samuel L. Jackson and more Marvel, you know, universe. But you can't do anything with them. Right. Yeah. You can't do anything else with them, which always pulls the audience back. Oh, this is a Marvel movie, not a Sony movie. Nobody goes to these things saying, you know, you know, from the sony pictures it's it's total total well, sony doesn't have the brand deal. recognition and like mcu Absolutely. is now a brand it yeah. totally sony totally. spider-man is not in fact well, I, I think there's still confusion uh even my sons when we were watching let there be carnage they're like so is this in the mcu or this is not in the mcu because it just came out so right and they do that this are wing, totally wing. plugged in don't know totally. yeah. spider-man well the the to me if if all people are talking about with uh, Spider uh, with uh, the Venom movies and the Morbius movie is oh that great post credit scene like okay that's the thing that everyone's talking about they're not talking about the movie itself it's mm -hmm. a post credit scene that it could relate to other things mm -hmm. you know then mm -hmm. yeah you, you're right you're not you're not uh, handling the property very well ah <laughs> uh, well. Uh, we're going out an hour here. I don't know if there were any other thoughts that our panelists would like to offer on rewatch of this particular film or anything else that we've discussed. I'll start with you, Dan. No, I'm good. This has been a lot of fun. I probably ate up all your time babbling on. So, oh I'm no, no, let me talk. Not at all. I will say, I don't know. You've got a uh, uh, as someone who works in radio, you've got great pipes. <laughs> I got, a, I got, a, I got a nice mic to compensate for. A lot of other problems <laughs> in my life. So <laughs> no, but you and Tom, you gotta kind of like oh, have this little talk back and forth there. I feel singled out as not having a good voice now. Well, yeah, no, it's I'm. I'm like right. everybody has a good voice except John. I'm up and down. I'm up and down. I go from <laughs> Jay Leno to uh, I get on radio. 
<laughs> well, I want uh, before we wrap up, I've been wanting to ask Dan this question. With the MCU being this huge juggernaut that makes billions of dollars that's eclipsed Star Wars, when you were in the Marvel offices in the 80s and 90s, which uh, arguably was the commercial peak of the publishing arm, was mm. there ever this thought that, you know, if they did the movies right, they could be this big because there were no movies back then? Or is does this come as a complete surprise to you as a Marvel veteran of like this, this, just the scale and success of all of these characters? You know, it, it, it would probably sound really prescient to, to say, you know, oh, yeah, we all knew what it could be. But I don't think anybody ever, ever thought that. I mean, it's just you, you look at the pop culture scene at that point in time and and, uh, you know, Blade would be the maybe a harbinger of what it could be. Right. A really hard movie taking itself fairly seriously, but but an outlier in a lot of ways. I don't think there was ever a sense that the geeks would fully win, the nerds would fully win, and and this would erupt in the way that it it did, although it makes perfect sense that it has. I remember uh, you know, going to the uh, premiere. I got uh, That sounds a lot, much more impressive than it, it was. I just happened to get a, a plus one ticket to go see Infinity War, and... Um, and I recognize that Tom Palmer, who was a marvelous artist and, and longtime anchor on the Avengers, who I knew from back in the day, was sitting right in front of me. So I leaned over and tapped Tom on the shoulder and reintroduced myself. And he's just a, was a terrific person. But I said, did you ever imagine all the things that you were drawing? Because he was responsible for so many of these massive Avengers stories would ever be up on a screen like that. And the grin on his face was, no, not in a thousand years, you know, that this was going to happen in this way. So. I don't think there was ever a sense that it would become that, but it makes perfect sense. Why was it so popular within within an quote unquote insular audience? Because it hit all the right notes to those of us who knew well enough to pick up those books. So as long as you carry forward the same tonality and humanity and qualities, why wouldn't it resonate with a with a bigger audience? There's a thing too. Uh, I don't know if what you think about this. When it comes to the Marvel movies, the criticism now is that they don't seem cohesive enough. And mm. when are they going to get to the next big event? And when are they going to get the Avengers together? And when's the next big bad coming along? And we kind of like forget that it took a long time for them to get to Infinity War right. and Battle Ten of years. Thanos. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the opposite, though. A lot of comic fans feel the opposite about the comics. They're like, why does everything have to be connected? Why does Marvel keep going to the next big event? Why can't right. we just tell stories in the individual titles? It's funny. As someone who's been in, in that side of the of the business, what, why do you think there's that, that uh, strange duality there? Yeah, it, it's... Um... I, I don't know because I don't I can't speak for the comics as much because I read individual comics or collections of it. I'm not I don't pay much, as much attention to the big, and I know they are driven by events and are driven by events somewhat developed by committee. So I, I but I could understand the criticism you know from readers like because then it feels like I got to buy everything I got to be part of everything and I'm overwhelmed by it. Um, you know, but it's funny that the the movie fans but is it the movie fans you think are saying that movie fans in general. Or is it the Marvel, say, comics movie fans who want that next Thanos tie together? Because what was our big tie together for Thanos for eight of those 10 years, right? It was after credit sequences. Mm -hmm. You know, who's who's the blue? I remember 
a guy I worked with after the first uh, Avengers movie came up and you know when when Thanos shows up and he's just like when the guy says you know they court death and you just see you know him just kind of grin it's like who, who was that guy what's that all mean and I had to explain to him Thanos and Jim Starlin and all this stuff but that was the long game mm-hmm. uh so I think um I wonder if it's the ordinary fan is just enjoying these movies and it's more the the noisy you know internet folks who are saying I want the Kang connection right now I want you know, all this, I do think the movies are a little bit all over the map right now, uh, myself, but, uh, you know, there's more good than bad. So that's okay. Yeah. I think you put your finger on it down when, when you talked about being overwhelmed, I Mm. think what keeps the MCU contained is that we're getting one thing at a time. Yeah. The most most we've gotten was last week where we had a werewolf by night special, the same day after we had a She-Hulk episode, but usually we get a movie every three months, Yep. Every four months we get a series and then it takes a month off and comes back with Marvel. You know, there's 20 titles every week. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, since you mentioned it, what did you get at Werewolf by Night? I'm going to tell you, I was, I loved it. I just, I was like, how, holy crap. How did they pull that one out and not Uh, anyone not know about it? I I remember seeing the trail. Sorry, John, go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead, Dan. I was just gonna say, I remember seeing the first trailer and thinking, "Oh, this is gonna suck." It looked cheesy, <laughs> you know. It looked looked like it was going too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I dug it. I I thought it was spot on for what it was. It was tight. It was funny. It was scary in a couple places. And uh, for a long time movie, you know, fan, I think uh, the opening of the, you know, a Marvel special that looks like something that came out of CBS in the in the seventies. Yeah. And then if you're a film fan, the little glitch in the corner. Yep. That yep. was the projectionist mark yep. of like, oh, we're gonna change the reels now. Uh, little touches like that just said, man, somebody somebody loves this. <laughs> so, I, and I think that's what keeps the MCU fresh is that they're looking at the entire publishing arm of Marvel and they're like, okay, we got superheroes. Now we'll do space. And then yeah, yeah. the galaxy is a big hit. We got space now. Now let's do magic and do Doctor Strange. And now it's like, now let's do monsters. And yeah. it's, it's all yeah. these things that it, over the decades, Marvel as a publishing uh, company has proved they can all live in the same place. Right. Right. Uh, they're handling it the same way. It's like, it, it's, it was fun to see the man thing. I didn't need to see daredevil in werewolf by night to know it's part of the Marvel universe. Sure. Absolutely. And I, I and I'm going to admit, I was the one who was critical when Kevin Feige came out and gave that whole presentation at D23 about all the things that we're going to be doing on Disney Plus. I'm like, mm-hmm. ah, you're going to the well. You guys are going way to the well, the well way too many times. But now I'm like, oh, this is kind of nice. I don't have to go to the theater every time I want to see the next uh, Marvel production. I can see it at home, you know. Right. I, and, and some things feel to extend it that way but some things feel well that was totally appropriate and totally you could never explored wandavision uh in the same way in a film that they were able to do in those extended you know sequence of episodes yeah tom uh on uh werewolf by night i a couple of things on werewolf by night uh, for some reason i kept thinking about young frankenstein but also the unnecessary the, black and white <laughs> the unnecessary black and white a little bit of the humor in there was was you know you know the the what's the 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 
the lead, Gael, the guy who plays Jack Russell. Jack Russell, mm-hmm. I did it. I thought he was great. I, he was I, he was great. He was different tr- from the comic, mind you. Way different from different, the comic, yeah. but I liked it. Different, but the 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 the, the kind of the kind of like ordinary guy that the the, the Victor Frankenstein thing kind of a hit that right kind of tone for me. But also the the <laughs> actor just was was tremendous. I mean, you know, it's it's just you know, it's it just says a, a, a it does kind of say something about diversity of casting is because when you're not yeah. yourself to one, this, this guy has to be, has to look like this, that this guy can, can do this with, 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 with a bit of an accent that you get performers who, who you can get anybody, you can get performers mm-hmm. and your Rolodex and you can get great performances out mm-hmm. of that. He was just terrific. And, you know, he's you know he's very, you know, kind of like humorous and then does it, mm-hmm. then it becomes a li- then we're doing the literal werewolf story for the back half of the episode and then we're ending with, with him talking about getting sushi with man thing right right picnic with man thing yeah picnic it's like great man, you know with man thing which is now it's like well now i want that special i want <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh with man thing that's a thanksgiving special that's all <laughs> then now we're talking my thanksgiving dinner with who else is coming to man thing and and jack russell's thanksgiving dinner that's uh, too much speaking uh, of man thing dan man thing swamp thing who ripped off who <laughs> um <laughs> you know i i had understood that it was uh that swamp thing actually followed man thing that was always my understanding was yeah, they're that, so uh, close together it's hard to to tell right like, but the the, the yeah, and I don't know, and I don't know any of those guys well enough. But I, I heard that Len, Len Wein was was all shit was part of a shared apartment with the other guys. Yeah, I, I think it was Marvel. First. Was was it Marvel? Yeah, Man Thing, and they were right. friends so, in high school, and they're all friends. And I, but like they were doing this over here. Len was sort of listening in over there, and then all of a sudden, Swamp Thing is being developed, and they're saying, "Well, it's a little close," and he's going, "No, nah, it's not close at all." And and whether but I don't know any of the, the ins and outs, you know, in, in that way. Uh, and so, and I think they can be distinct enough characters uh, if you play it the right way. And the look of, of the werewolf in Werewolf by Night was spot on. Um, they, yeah. They, they did a great, great job. And great anything, job. by the way, anything that brings back Laura Donnelly, I can, I can watch Laura Donnelly read a book. I would be like, please, Elsa. Read to me. Does she read out loud, or is it just her looking down? I I'll take whatever works. I'll take whatever I can get. I'll just watch her like 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 mouth the words as she's reading. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know what else we can say except uh, thank you, uh, thank you for joining us, Mister Chichester. It's <laughs> a pleasure. A pleasure. Um, and thank you so much for your insights and for being with us. And again, as a fan, a uh, total fanboy here, uh, uh, it's like, oh god, wow, this is. But we'd love to have you back on the show. Uh, please, yeah, please, again. anytime. Uh, before you, we all go. Uh, can you tell us where can we find you on the socials? What are you up to next? Uh, this is where you can get in your plugs. Your I get in my plugs. Uh, well, I do a weekly newsletter. Uh, called storymaze.substack.com. Uh, probably that's the best place to check me out. There's usually new writing and some uh, nostalgia about comics and some recos of some stuff that I'm watching or reading that 
I like. It's a very storytelling, writing-oriented uh, type of uh, newsletter, and that's probably the best place to uh, to check out what's going on. And and uh, there are a couple things in development. There's a comic I'm working on uh, right now uh, that's at least going to be self-published, but that's probably not until the spring. And I want to get a little more uh, headway under that before I talk it up more. But that'll be a place where I'll talk it up. So check that out. Sweet. And uh, you're on Instagram, right? I am on Instagram. I'm probably most active on Twitter at just DG Chichester um, until Elon comes in and, you know, turns it back into even more of a dumpster fire than it is. <laughs> so we'll see what I do after after yeah. that. I just want to make sure I'm not following someone who's pretending to be you. No, very few people would want to pretend to be you. So <laughs> it's, like, it's not. There's no value or money in it. So um, start, you know, get in on the ground floor, and then you never know. Tom, uh, you can find uh, this drink, the uh, oh, tonight's yes. homecoming punch, and all of these uh, previous cocktails, including uh, things like the Zandarian Sunrise. Mm. Um, and the uh, Not Just Tea and the Father and Son at Review Cocktails on Instagram.com. The Instagram app, that's R-E-V-U, cocktails spelled the usual way. I believe there's a link through the MCU Review Instagram page. Uh, go and check it out. And uh, not just theme drinks, uh, but also occasionally if I want to share my preferred martini recipe or if I'm feeling in a tiki mood and want to show you my Mai Tai for the evening, by all means, check it out. Well, Dan, can we have you back when we finally debut our Indiana Jones drink? We've been talking about this for a while now. <laughs> <laughs> this, has been a long, this has been a long conversation <laughs> because, because Elliot tracked down the, the specific bottle that Indy is drinking. In really? Raiders of the Lost Ark at the canteen in uh, Cairo, which is actually okay. pre-prohibition version of Jack Daniels. It's a okay. it's a it's not the Jack Daniels brand, but it was the same distillery mm -hmm. making Tennessee whiskey before prohibition. So we've determined that you need some sort of pre-prohibition, either Jack Daniels or a pre-prohibition Tennessee whiskey. And I have personally identified Uncle Nearest Small Batch 1884 as the most likely suspect, at least the one that I can, I don't have to send away to my cousin in Tennessee to get <laughs> along with, and do it, in, do it in a mint julep, do a mint julep style, since that was a common uh, cocktail of the uh, early half of the 20th century. But because it is Egypt, you can use date syrup instead of simple sugar. Perfect. That's uh, but not bad date syrup. You know. <laughs> no, I think if we're going to call it, really a monkey, call it, you call it the good the dates. Exactly. Good dates. <laughs> I, I, I always have the bad dates. <laughs> John, uh, I'm a nod of my book on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can also listen to Caffeinated Comics. This episode will come out as an audio version next week. If you're already listening to that, you know how to subscribe to it. But we're available anywhere that you get podcasts. Uh, we're going into our tenth year, and uh, now that it's October, we're starting a horror theme. Last week's was really enjoyable. We found all of Freddy's nightmares is uh, available for streaming on Tubi and did a deep dive into late eighties syndication. So everything from tales from the dark side to glow. So oh uh, that, that's the newest one up now. And we're here every week and our Facebook page since Facebook changed their, um, 
change their operating system. It's very, very hard to link to the news stories, but we're still trying to do it. Uh, you can find some of the things that happened in New York Comic Con. You can start find some of the things that happened at Hasbro PulseCon. Uh, but now it's, you know, it's like seven clicks to share anything. Yeah. Um, and, but if you go to uh, facebook.com slash MCU review or um, twitch.tv slash MCU review, you can watch the videos of the video archive of this live stream. In fact, um, you will find the link to the uh, YouTube page on the Facebook page to watch mm -hmm. all our previous episodes in video form if you want to see the things. Oh, wait! Wait! John! I almost forgot! Did, oh. we, have an, did we have an action figure? We have so many action figures. Oh, okay. <laughs> my L-shaped desk is full of oh, them. Yes. Oh, wait, there's more. There's <laughs> more. We'll do this quickly because we're saying goodbye, but um, <laughs> we do a segment of what, what was the merchandise for for the movie. And I have an extensive Marvel legend collection. So I usually have some stuff. So, uh, there was a lot, uh, first of all, I have this vulture with that. Oh, has bigger wings. You need to collect the entire set. Unfortunately, there's no Michael Keaton head, but they are still making, uh, merchandise. Uh, just this month, there was a Peter and Ned set. Oh, those are and great. in fact, they're wearing these exact clothes from homecoming. So this is from homecoming. And then of course, just because I went overboard, um, I also have the homemade oh, suit from great. Hot Toys, and this is a real hoodie. Like, that's awesome. There's no difference between the one I have and the one this one. Has. That's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Spider-Man obviously is the most popular Marvel property, but they're continuing to mine this film even five years later. Thanks for reminding me because I have a pile of stuff and didn't remember to do it myself. What's that for? Yeah, so, so <laughs> well, there's always toys on my desk. It's I was like, wait a minute. The, the reason we encourage people to watch the live stream video is so they can see the toys. Because if, you, if you're listening to us on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, of course, you get to hear all the great commentary uh, from everyone here and our guests. Uh, but no, you only get to see the fun stuff like the toys and the occasional cat or dog appearing in the background <laughs> if you watch the live stream. So, all right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Lehman. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. If you were watching us on the Twitch channel, if you're watching us on Facebook Live or on YouTube uh, for DG Chichester, Tom Jetner, and John Clark, I'm Elliot Serrano. We'll see you next time at the MCU Review, where the movie will be Thor Ragnarok. Uh, good one. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, guys. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. Take Thank care, you. everyone. Have a great weekend. Great week.